House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We're going to be talking true crime here, and we've got one of the good ones, one of the great ones. And uh, she's got a new book out called She is Evil, and it's Madness and Murder in Memphis. I, I, I kind of think that's all says it, says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a given. It's a given. And uh, with us uh, is Judith Yates. She's live from Planet of the Yates. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stealer, you lying stealer. I know, I had to, I had to. And I heard that, I thought it was so funny. Um, Burl um, had that on his show, he, uh, Outlaw Radio, and he kept on saying Planet of the Yates. So I thought that was... That was like, you damn yeah. dirty Yates. <laughs> I have been called that before, it's no big deal. Yeah, just another day. <laughs> So, thank you for being here. This is a great honor to have well, you Thank on. you. My two favorite guys in radio. Well, we're the only two guys in radio. Everybody else has left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sitting here on, on hold and I'm listening to you guys, and I am so trying not to just shriek with laughter and, and ruin your little back and forth there. But if you don't mind, I do have several things to say on your on your what about this. If you don't mind? No, go ahead. <laughs> I always love the input. Okay, well, I, I think it's really frightening that, you know, like this slapper guy, I don't know any of these cases because I've just been so so buried in the, in the in this book right now, but I think it's really sad that now we are turning, you know, so much of society is turning themselves into reality TV. Yeah. You know, where anybody can be a star for 10 minutes or, or what have you, and... I also, I don't trust anything celebrities say, per se, because they have these uh, managers and, and such that will say for them. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. That's mm -hmm. a lot of things. Yeah. And then third, the whole Bill Cosby thing, <laughs> I've been through three sexual harassment cases in my career. And it will destroy you. It will ruin you emotionally, physically, financially. And, you know, I, I I don't know if he did it. I don't know. I wasn't, you know, I'm not any part of that. And I don't like to make a judgment or um, such unless it's really good, like, say, Michael Jackson case. But <laughs> I, I, feel for, I feel for the women should they be telling the truth because it is hard. And one of the cases I went through, I didn't, um, I didn't make it out prior. I didn't talk to anyone until almost a year afterward when they started doing the formal investigation, simply because it will and can destroy people's careers, their livelihoods, their finances. So, you know, I can understand why someone would not make the outcry sooner. And you know, who knows what really happened, really, because so much can be left out of the trial. And, you know, one of the things that when I was writing uh, my book When Nashville Bled is the um, defense attorney wanted, when, when the victims uh, that were left made their victim impact statement, one of them said, losing his wife, he said it made me feel less of a man because I couldn't protect her. 
and they wanted that kicked out because it was inflammatory. Now, they've already got the guy for how many murders, you know, yeah. brutal murders, and yet he can't say that. So I really, you know, things come out in the courtroom or don't. I, I also look at that with a very jaundiced eye because I just, you know, maybe I just don't trust anybody. I don't know. But I, yeah. that's, that's my you know, 35 yeah. cents plus on that. No, I mean, it's true, and it's true enough. You know, when you get into these uh, trials, especially televised ones, and, and the thing like Bill Cosby, I mean, we're never really going to know. Um, we just hear so many bits and pieces. Um, but, you know, more than likely with that many women, he, he was doing something, and there are, you know, what, however they took it, however he, you know, who knows? It's just one of those things. Um, uh, I, you know. Well, I mean, look at the Michael, look at the Michael Jackson case. A lot of these um, parents of the children knew yes. what was going on, or yes. at least had an inkling of what's going on. But you know what? He's Michael Jackson. We got a free trip to Disney. Good. So, yeah. you know. Yes, they they kept for, you know exposing their children to the danger. Right. Yeah, a right. little bit of money and, and Jesus juice, and you got it made. <laughs> and don't forget the chimp. Yeah. You got a chimp you're working. Yes, you could play with the monkey and the and, that, and the chimp too. And that comes from the planet of the apes. Yeah, there you go. Live breaking news. You know, uh, yeah, it's just it's just craziness. We we kind of make fun of some of these trials because uh, it's almost silly sometimes. How how far they go? They are going to retry Bill Cosby. They're going to do it again. So. Now, it, it it has to be different charges, though. Be, otherwise, that is double jeopardy. No, because it was a hung trial. They can retry him. That's true. Yeah. That much I remember. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to uh, I'm going to sort of skip that pun, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, boy, you got dirty mind today. <laughs> he does. Boy. I'm. I'm. I need to take a shower after this show. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're getting in line. The whole the, everybody does, even the people that listen. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm back in the boys' locker room listening to all this banter and sadness and madness and. Oh yeah, you know. but you're right about that. You know, the Spokane Slapper is a guy that did it just to make the news. It kind of reminds me, uh, do you think maybe they're they're heading into this, you know, the guy that was the Facebook killer, you know, he had to kill live on Facebook, and now you got Spokane Slapper going around slapping people so that he could go get on TV and become famous. I, I, well, I, I, well, I think that's kind of like they're almost doing it to be on TV. But we make criminals famous. The O.J. trial. Think how many movie stars we got out of that. You know, the Michael Jackson trial. God, that was a country of its own. And, you know, we, we Charles Manson. You know, people know Charles Manson's face before they recognize the senator's face. And, or, you know, who is the vice president. I don't know, but Charles Manson killed Sharon Tate. You know, we make him famous. The media makes him yeah. movie stars. Yeah, and we, we tend to focus more on the killer than the uh, victims as well. Yeah, we sensationalize the crime. Yeah, because you couldn't tell me any of the well, maybe well Charles Manson you can because they they you know Sharon Tate was famous, but how many of the others could you say 
Uh, and could you name the Zodiac victims? Can you name any of the victims from major crimes, even the um, Boston Strangler or any of those? You don't. You, we just focus on the killer. Right. And, again, you know, look how much people are paying for, you know, letters or thumbprints or, you know, even a drop of blood thumbprint from serial killers on in prison. You know, it's crazy. And, and I've seen, the crazy thing I think I saw was foot scrapings. Oh. <laughs> Actual calluses scrapes off the serial killer's foot. And they were going for several hundred dollars. Why? Why Why would you, you know, I, I, I know why, but that's that's just a little bit too far for me. Well, if that, you know, that Bannon like, chick wouldn't have married Charles Vanson, I would have went for it. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> but, and, I, you know, I've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of strange criminal stuff for sale and, and people bragging about, you know, I have a blade of grass that was on the lawn of, you know, Cielo Drive when Sharon Tate was murdered. You know, it's just, again, we, we just sensationalize and and make these people movie stars. And, I mean, I'll go back to my, my other book, Paul Dennis Reed. People, you know, there was uh, a reporter who contacted the jail where Reed was being held before trial and said, are we allowed to send him, um, you know, candy, fruit and nut and cheese trays, a, a basket of fruit for an interview? <laughs> no. No, stupid. You cannot send him that. <laughs> and, okay, but did anybody offer to send, you know, the Jacksons or, you know, Steve left behind three little kids and, and a wife? Did anybody offer to send them a fruit basket that was from, you know, the media? No, they pounded on their windows and yelled questions through the door, you know? Yeah. So it's just, it's bizarre. It's just the height of bizarre to me. And nobody sent me a fruit basket. They didn't? <laughs> no. Okay, first thing I'm going to do when I get off this phone, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to get fruit. on uh, Fruits or Us. <laughs> yeah, I have an account there. Fruit, fruits are us. I'm, yeah. Fruits are us. Yeah, I'm a regular. So, so now you've got the new book under Wild Blue, Wild Blue Press. Uh, she is evil. So, I do. what drew you to this case in particular? Well, I've been a domestic violence prevention educator for over 25 years, and this case did intrigue me because. It was a female-to-male um, case, female being the, the violent one, the male being the victim, and that is so very rare. And also, you know, I have friends who are Muslims. I have friends who are from the Middle East, and I really have hated the last few years how we have, uh, the society has put Muslims and Middle Easterns all being lumped together as terrorists. And they never show the positive side. You know, that's like saying, um, you know, what's his name? Um, the Westboro Baptist Church represents all Baptists or all Christians. You know, it's wrong. It's wrong. And I was flipping through, I was, I was working on another article on female inmate pen pals, what they write versus what they did. And I came across Leah Ward's uh, photo and 
First of all, I don't I don't trust anybody that smiles in a mugshot. <laughs> um, it's kind of like, like an extra mistrust, you know. Um, and it intrigued me, and I thought, okay, she's saying I'm beautiful on the inside, I'm beautiful on the outside, something's up. And that's how I came across it, and so it all just kind of fell in together. Sounds, sounds just a, a, a tad bit like Jodi Arias. Ugh, I wouldn't write anything on Jody Arias. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the, the <laughs> ego, the ego, for sure. So yeah. what's the yeah. basis of the story? Maybe maybe give us some of the points of what happened. Leah Ward was born in 1976, and it was a very small southern town in Tennessee, and Leah started exhibiting really bad behavior beginning in about the fifth grade. She was doing a lot of fighting she was writing sexually explicit notes to grown men and boys, keeping a journal about her sexcapades. Um, she was skipping school. She was using a lot of drugs and alcohol. And she was just this habitual liar. Now, she goes to prison for um, drugs, for, for carrying and, and selling and et cetera. Ijal Bad was born in 1962 and Salas and his family worked very hard and built up prosperous businesses. And his mother uh, came into his room one late night and said, I have been saving money back for you to go to America and, and make your dreams come true. And she died in his arms after she told him that. So he oh, wow. had already had a bachelor's. Yes, he had a bachelor's degree already in engineering. Well, so to fulfill his mother's dying wish, he goes to the United States, becomes a legal citizen, gets another degree. He works very hard. Ishaz um, was, was one of those Renaissance guys. He knew several languages, uh, very educated. He ran several successful businesses, um, and he was he was a very devout Muslim, which means no drugs and alcohol, um, help others in your community respect your wife and family, uh, worship in, in the mosque on, on regular, you know, worshiping schedules. Mm -hmm. And he was just an all-around good man. He met someone, um, they married uh, twice, actually, and he had a son that he just adored. And he took his son to Father's Bad to meet the relatives. And while he was there, he taught Jordan, the son, about his culture, about his history, about his people. And Jordan went to mosque, and it's interesting because, you know, Jordan went to mosque and, and became a Muslim, and at the same time, his mother and his grandmother were taking him to the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh. So Jordan's getting this all-around, yeah, he's getting this all-around education here. Well, Leah meets Ijaz, in 2002, Leah had um, been out of prison a while. She was on parole, four months only of parole to do. And she meets Ijaz through a mutual friend who is giving Ijaz this sad story. She has no place to live. She's on the street. She's hungry. If somebody would just give her help. Well, of course, as part of his religion, Ijaz says, well, yes, you know, I would hope you. Ijaz was kind of the go-to guy if someone needed something, you know, 
He was yeah. he was very kind to his friends, and if they needed a car, well, then he would loan them, or he would you know sell them a car for a buck or something. If they needed a job, then he'd find them a job in one of his many businesses. So he tells Leah, well, I have a uh, rental property open because that's one of his businesses, and uh, you can stay there. Not knowing that Leah did have a home in Memphis, she was living at a halfway house. And mm. she was still married. She had two children, but she didn't bother. Oh, and, of course, right out of prison, drug and alcohol use, she didn't bother telling the job to any of this. So he sets her up in a rental property and then gets to thinking and goes and gets her and says, I don't want you living here because it's a dangerous neighborhood. And he moves her into his house, but he explains, I can't live with you because I can't, you know, be under the same roof as a woman, not my family or my wife. He goes and lives with a friend. Meanwhile, he's paying for Leah's education. He's bought her a car. Anything Leah wants and needs to help her just get on her feet, Dijon's is providing. And this is, you know, strictly out of kindness. Now, of course, Dijon's is also providing for his friends. He's got a mechanic that doesn't know what the hell he's doing under the hood, but he really needs a job. So Dijon's says, okay, well, you can, you know, do change tires or change oil or whatever. And he's also, you know, helping to raise his son. So taking care of Leah wasn't only just the only thing Ijaz was doing. And eventually he tells Leah, well, perhaps we can learn to love one another. They marry in a Muslim ceremony. Leah doesn't bother telling him again that she is married. And the abuse just keeps rolling, you know. Um, she was physically abusive. She'd shove him. She'd punch him. Um, she was stealing his money. She was draining his bank account. Ijaz was very wealthy, and he kept cash in the house also. Well, that started disappearing. He had a, a prize coin collection that disappeared. And, you know, one by one by one, and Ijaz is, is telling his friends he made a terrible mistake. And he yeah. doesn't know what to do. And she's playing all kinds of reindeer games with him um, through her workplace and, and also, you know, personally. He, she accuses him of cheating everywhere he turns, even though his friends are saying Ijaz will not cheat on his wife. First of all, he wouldn't, and secondly, it's against his religion. And again, remember, he's a very devout Muslim. So finally, Ijaz says, you know, I've had enough with her. And he takes her to a very nice hotel in Memphis and says, you know, basically, you're, you're on your own, I can do no more. He gives her a bunch of money. He comes back home, and Leah's burglarized his house. Oh, crap. It didn't take her long. Nope. Nope. So he calls his uh, ex-mother-in-law, who is like his mother's mother figure to him, and he says, I don't know what to do. I've got to get out. And he says to Ernestine, that woman is evil. She is evil. And that's the last thing anyone who loved Ijaz heard him say. And, you know, there, there are two stories going. Leah, according to Leah, he beat on her and he tore up the house and kicked through a door. Um, but in April 2003, Ijaz goes missing. And she's giving several different stories to several different people. You know, oh, he's in West Memphis picking up a car. Oh, you just missed him. He's in North Memphis. Oh, you know, he 
he was uh, at a friend's house. He was at the mosque. And see, Ezod didn't have a cell phone. Oh. And finally, she starts telling people, oh, he went back to uh, Father's Spot to visit family. Okay, that doesn't make sense because Ezod, after 9-11, Ezod would not travel as much as it hurt his heart to not see his family because every time he and his friends would go to the airport, you know, they'd get stopped or they'd get questions or they'd get... And he just did not feel safe. Yeah. And they, and meanwhile, uh, Leah is selling everything that she can out of that house. Um, she packs up everything else and puts it in a storage room. Let me back up. I'm sorry. Um, prior to Ejaz getting rid of her, she says, oh, by the way, I broke my probation and I've got to go back to jail for a few months. He didn't even know she was on probation. So that's when he took her to the hotel. He gave her the money and said, see ya, you know. And people were saying, Ijaz, why did you do that? Why didn't you just kick her out? And he said, she has two little children. So he was kind up to the end. And uh, so she breaks into his house. April, he goes missing. And on May 1st, Leah checks into a federal holding facility in Mason, Tennessee, so she can begin the next few months incarcerated. And at the same time, Ishaz's ex-mother-in-law and his son, Jordan, who is 10, goes to his house to find out, okay, this is it. We want to know what is going on with Ishaz. And that's when they find his body in the back shed of his home, and she beheaded him. She removed the penis and scrotum area, and he'd been dead for some weeks. Oh, good God. And on May 5th, she was questioned. She admitted to murder. And yet she gives this long, drawn-out story about it was all self-defense. You know, he kicked down the door. He smashed the window. Well, you know, when they went through that home upon the initial arrival, nothing had happened to any of the doors. No sign of a break-in. No sign of a door being smashed. And that's internal and external. Outside, but internal and outside. No windows smashed. You know, nothing uh, that shows a sign of a struggle. But she has taken just about everything. And she's also cut some pieces of carpet out before, and she has wiped down the bathroom. Now, what's interesting is they find out later that while Ijaz's rotting body is in the bathroom, she's been having parties over there. Oh. And, and, and nobody noticed this? Nobody thought... I mean, how do you hide a body in the bathroom during a party? My only thought is a bunch of meth heads don't question, <laughs> you know. And she uh, was telling people that the refrigerator had gone out and she had a bunch of meat in there and it all went rotten, and that accounted for the smell. The, again, you know, jokes aside, the only thing I can figure out is there's a bunch of people doing, buying, selling, dealing drugs, and, you know, there's the story. Yeah. How, how, long did and, he, did he, how long did it take for him to marry her? But Like, how long did they know each other? Um, it wasn't long. You know, I mean, it wasn't the next day, but it, it was... Uh, weeks, you know, several months, and 
again, I think, and, and according to his loved ones, Ijaz really wanted a family. He wanted the American dream to be complete, a wife, children, a nice house, you know, um, someone to come home to, someone to worship with, and I, I really believe that that's what he was. You know, Leah had two children. Ijaz had uh, Jordan, and my thought is he was probably thinking a blended family, you know, just, you know, kids and in home sweet home. Yeah. Did any of his family come over from Pakistan to uh, meet her? No, because, again, you have to think, you know, after 9-11, travel was so difficult for anyone from the Middle East. Of course, again, we're lumping everybody together here. Um, and also, you know, some of them just didn't have the money. Now, he had a brother that was a jeweler, and he was a sister who had a sister who was a uh, dressmaker. So he would go to Father's Five and buy up items and gifts for his loved ones and come back, and then that's what he was selling. He had a store, and so he was selling authentic um, trinkets and goods and such. One of the things he sold was swords. Oh. And that's what Leah says she used to decapitate him. <clears throat> wow. But did she give a reason why she actually killed him? No. The only thing that she will tell people is it was in self-defense. It was either him or her. Um, he was choking her to death. She has the gun in her hand out of, you know, and shoots him twice. Yeah. And it just, this story just doesn't jive. No. You know, mm. I mean, I, I searched and I searched and I talked to hundreds of people I even talked to, you know, his ex-wife, who had grown up in a, in a violent relationship um, with her father, who had grown up in an uh, abusive relationship with her first son's husband, and her mother, who had been in abusive relationships. They would certainly know, you know, the signs and the symptoms and such. Nobody said at any time would Ejaz have put his hands on a woman, have... Um, pushed her, kicked her, choked, punched, any of the above. And I truly do not believe Ijaz was abusive. Wow. And then she cut his he head off. Now, what was the significance of that? Leah claims that she had closed the body up in the bathroom for a couple of days, and then when she opened it, there were, she said there were worms coming out of his head. So she cut it off. I'm wondering if it also had to do with, you know, when, when you're a Muslim, you have to be buried whole. And I wonder if that wasn't kind of a sunning her nose at his religion and him. And I also think that uh, she had, there were, there were marks on the femur head where she had tried to, it looked like, remove the legs. And so I'm wondering if she didn't think, well, she was just going to part out the body and throw it in various and sundry places and no one would ever know. But it's, you know, doing something to somebody on, on TV and the movies is always so easy. You know, shoot once, they fall over dead, um, chop up the body, and it's so easy. And I don't think she realized that it was a lot of work, not to make a light of it, of course. I just think that she thought it would be very easy, and that's what she was going to do. And when it wasn't very easy... 
and her her report date was coming up, she put him in the shed. Mm. Well, Judith, you know we've we've been talking a lot about about her. And we've painted Ijaz to, to be a very sympathetic, a very kind, a very giving man. And to some, ex- some extent, we've also kind of painted him as a very naive man. Yes. But cer- certain things aren't, aren't clicking for, for me legally. Uh, for example, how do you suddenly decide that you're going to marry a woman and, and not do a little bit of research on her or, or ask her, you know, have you been in, you know, any type of legal trouble or, you know, are you in any trouble or, hey, where's the father to these children? And whenever they applied for a marriage license, wouldn't it already show that she was currently already married? No, because it was a Muslim ceremony. So they don't have to apply? Think about how often this occurs in society. The, okay, let's, let's reverse roles. The female meets the man. He's such a great guy. He's this, he's that. You know, after a while they decide that they're going to cohabitate or they're going to be married. How many women actually sit down and say, okay, do you have a history of abuse? Have you been married before? Have you ever hit anyone? Um, are you? Uh, have you ever had any legal trouble? You know, how many women really do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, to you know, touche. I'll, I'll give you that one. But it, it should come <laughs> up in, in it will. It, but it, it should come up in in conversation. No. I, I mean, no, Leah, re- realistically. Leah, mm-hmm. Leah told Ijaz that she was married. And she had to divorce him and get out of that marriage because he was abusive and he hit her and he used drugs. And one night he put her in the hospital. He beat her up so bad and she had to run and hide at her parents' house. You know, and, and really, again, how many people believe and again you reverse the roles and you know this guy is telling the woman oh my parents were mean and I've never had a break and I wish someone would just give me a break and love me because I've never had that before you know honestly two women too many women are going to be oh my god I'm going to save him or you know well he hit me but he loves me or well, he had a bad childhood. You know, his wife is a, is a his ex-wife is a complete and total bitch, and I'm not, and it's going to work. You know, too many people do that, and it just so happens that this time the role is reversed, per se. Yeah, the the rescuer syndrome. Right, and you know, part of his religion is you go into your community and you try your, your own little ways to make things better. Plus, you know, Ijaz had all of these businesses. You know, he had his shop. He had his restaurant. He had the, the car, when you purchase the car, have it fixed and resell. Uh, he had these rental properties going on. So, you know, it's not like he was also sitting around thinking, I wonder if he is lying, you know. 
Mm. Because she was the slick one, you know. She knew what to say, how to say. She could size people up in a heartbeat. And I believe that the man who introduced them, he knew how Ijaz was. And, you know, she goes into his house. She sees nice things. Uh, she sees all of these very expensive things uh, laying around. And it's like, well, hell yeah, I'm going to go for this. Yeah, the perfect victim. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some friend... Uh, I'm air quoting friend that introduced him to her. Right. Do you do you think that maybe the friend knew really how she was? Yes. Yes. I so the so he was kind he was kind of set up. Oh yeah, I believe it. The friend did some work for Ijaz, and if he was hanging around Leah, something shady was going on. And mm. I could you know I can really see it after, because, you know, when you're writing, when you've spent several years involved in these people's lives and talking to other people and doing your records research, you can really see, you know, what happened here. And I'm sure, you know, Ijaz did have a temper. He did a lot of yelling when he was mad. But as far as hands-on, no, I don't believe it. So, so what happened to her? Did she get uh, put away for life or... What's the outcome for her? She did. She is serving time in the Tennessee Prison for Women here uh, just outside of Nashville. Um, She is serving uh, life sentence for first-degree murder. And, you know, the the Tennessee prisoners are only eligible for 15% reduction of their 60-year sentences for good behavior. And when you're doing life, that means 60 years in Tennessee. And as they're accumulating this good time for the work and good behavior and all of this, uh, they'll take off time on their sentence. Well, Leah's already blown that because she's been in fights. She had a dangerous weapon. She, you know, is not good about following the rules. So assuming her record would be clean, Leah could be released in 2059 and she'd be 83 years old. But Leah's record is not clean already. So... You know, she's, she's there for a lot, the rest of her life. Well, what happened to all of his stuff, like his businesses, the house, money and that? Did she, did she get it all or did someone else get it? No, I'm not, you know, I'm honestly I'm not sure about those, the properties, the cars and the houses and such. Um, but I do know that a lot of things that Ijaz, were dear to Ijaz, um, are sold and, and have disappeared. For example... He had a beautiful ring that he wore that when um, Jordan was going to get old enough, he was going to turn it over to Jordan. Well, she pawned that. Now, that's what's interesting. You know, this ring was worth, you know, probably around $1,000, and she got 40 bucks for it. Oh, my God. That just pisses you off. <laughs> but the beautiful thing is the ring, he got the ring back. So he does have a few mementos of his father, some furniture, you know, a lamp, uh, a headboard, those kinds of things. But she pawned or sold or gave away or traded. So, you know, just almost all his stuff, just and, and especially things like, again, jewelry and, and artwork and um, the swords and all the things from, you know, um, Pakistan that he brought over. Wow. Now what? So, yeah. Now has has the 
Has the family spoke out on this, and, and what do they say? Ishaza's family, yes. Um, I really, you know, got to know them. Uh, I count them as friends. They're wonderful, wonderful, just salt-of-the-earth people. And if someone, you know, if the family says, no, I don't want this book written, then I won't do it. You know, for example, in When Nashville Bled, the Paul Dennis Reed book, I went to every family of every victim and I said, if one of you says no, I'm not going to do this. And they all agreed that the victims deserved their story told. Yes. And the same with Ijaz is his family here said, Ijaz's story needs to be told because nobody's done it. You know, with the exception of, of being on the stand, nobody's really gotten to tell Ijaz's story. And Leah's been on, I don't know, one of those snapped or I shot the sheriff or one of those stories. Yes. And she has told her story, but only her story about Ijaz being abusive and hitting her and choking her. And that's a lie. And so he deserves his story told. Now, that, that's a good point. Uh, let, me, let me chase this rabbit real quick, Judith. Do you think, given, given some of the women on men violence that we've seen. Uh, for example, we were off air, we were talking about Julia Arias. Um, you've got Lorena Bobbitt. Um, you've got Amy Bishop. Uh, you've got all these cases. Uh, me and Al did the stiletto uh, murderer. Do you think that the abusive man card is being overplayed and therefore in the future we're literally going to you know almost the boy who cried wolf there's going to be a real situation of we're going to be like oh god here it is again the he beat me award no I really don't um, first of all the percentage of women who will be in a violent relationship is overwhelming. And these are the numbers that we know of. You know, 50% of women in the United States are going to marry or date or cohabitate with someone who's abusive. And 25% of those will marry, legally marry the abuser. When I taught high school uh, criminal justice, I had so many girls come to me saying they were afraid of their boyfriend or he slapped them or he threatened their family. And I don't believe that the rate of female-on-male abuse is anywhere near men-on-women. On, men on and then when I say 50% of women, that doesn't mean male-female relationships. It can mean female-female relationships. Mm-hmm. But the numbers are outstanding. You could take a jumbo jet, fill it with women, you know, every month and crash it into the ocean and that is not going to equal the number of women who have been abused or have been killed by their abuser. And there are too many women in prison who did kill out of self-defense but because of the times or the finances or you know, even attorneys or, or history they're still sitting in prison. Yeah, now by, by no means am I downplaying and the atrocity of spousal abuse, but right. it seems it, it seems like that that card is being played so many times, and these women get on the stand, and they are so convincing, 
And partially because I believe that, you know, if you're willing to kill somebody, like in this case, she decapitated the poor man and, you know, mutilated his genitals, you know, that's sociopathic behavior, psychopathic behavior. But they're so convincing, and then you find out that it's not true. And that can cast doubt for a later case down the road where it is. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. And do I believe the I was a victim because he abused me card is being overused? I, I don't know. You know, I'm not that familiar with these cases. I've never done a study on it. Um, so I can't, I don't feel right in, in making a comment on that. Now, I will say that if you read Leah's letters, because we corresponded for a while, you would think that she is such a sweetheart and that she is truly a victim. And I watched her try to manipulate me through letters, and I thought, you know, if I wasn't one step up on this, I would so be believing her. Mm -hmm. You know, I gave her the benefit of the doubt. I really did. I went into this um, kind of with a very open mind, and this is what I've, you know, this is what I've discovered. Yeah. I mean, we're working in corrections. I see it a hundred times a day. Uh, and, and, you know, jokingly, I would say things like, you know, with Amy Bishop, you know, she was a great woman. She was extremely intelligent, and she was fun to talk to as long as you remember she was a cold-blooded killer. Right. I'm sorry, refresh me, refresh me Amy Bishop. Um, Amy Bishop, she's the uh, UAH shooter. She's the one that smuggled the gun into the college and um, all of her co-workers were all sitting at the boardroom table discussing, you know, next next year's, um, oh, tenures. And she was not among yeah. them. And she yeah, stood up okay. and just started shooting everybody. And her body count was, was four with two additional injured. And then she calmly walks down the hall, dumps the gun, and denied she even remembered doing it. Right, right, because that, that story and your story appeared at the same time in our in our True Crime Case Files evening. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, I knew the name sounded familiar. I'm sorry about that. But, yes, that, that was an amazing story. I mean, and I think these female killers think, and I know, I'm, I'm positive in my heart that she, Leah, was thinking, okay, they're going to believe me if I say abuse for one thing. He was Middle Eastern. I think that played a lot into it. Um, and, you know, here she is, poor little innocent Leah. The whole world is just so mean to her. And look, here she's trying to be somebody, and he's beating on her. I think that's how mm -hmm. she thought it out. And then, like you said, you know, the, the woman who shot up the, the school, and, you know, all these female killers that make the news, I honestly think that in their hearts and minds, they're thinking, okay, if I say it, they'll believe it. Diane Downs, you know. Yes. Um, all of these people, I think it's, okay, if I say it, and I'm good enough actress, they'll believe it. Now, uh, going off on, a, on another tangent here for just a moment, do you feel that your book is going to perhaps impact the way that people see Islam as a culture today? I would love it. I would love it if they did. And, you know, there is violence in every religion. There is violence in every religious text. 
it's part of our lives. It's part of who we are, and that's why it's there. And I would hope that people read the book and step back and say, hmm, maybe I should rethink this. And I'm wondering if the tide is not turning there anyway, because in the United States, we always have to have a bad guy. You know, for a while it was gay people. For a while it was Middle Eastern. You know, some time ago it was females. We always have to have a bad guy to be mad at. You know, for a while, you know, it's kind of hopefully tapering off. For a while it's cops. So I'm hoping that this will kind of help people learn that, you know, there is violence everywhere. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm no, you know, I'm not by any means a, an expert in theology or Islam or Christianity or any of those, but I can tell this story. No, no, did you get to meet her, Leah? <laughs> no, she played a bunch of reindeer games, and I finally just said, you know what, this is, this is silly. And uh, she, first she played... Okay, but I'll talk to you, but it has to be in front of my attorney. Okay, I can do that. Okay, I'll talk to you first, but then I'll talk to you about the book itself. And I explained to her, when we talk, until you sign that agreement, anything you tell me is not going to be, you know, um, said or written or any such thing. It's not until you sign the agreement. Okay, that's fine. Well, I don't have any money for stamps, so I can't write you. So I sent her, like, you know, 20 cents. Um, <laughs> you know, well, I don't, well, I don't. And finally, I said, okay, I'm sending you the agreement. I want you to read over this. If you have any questions, please feel free. Sure, you can have your attorney look at it. I'm, I'm open. She sent it back. She tore it up. She wrote on the outside, I do not um, approve this book. What? Okay. Wow. <laughs> you know, okay. What kind of crap is that? <laughs> That's a lot of crap, buddy. <laughs> wow. And again, in Leah's fashion, I honestly believe that she said, "If I don't, I don't approve of this book, it won't get written." But I'm also thinking in the back of her mind, she's thinking, "Hmm, a whole book about me." Yeah, she's thrilled. <laughs> And that's a supposition. It really is. Yeah. But, you know, again, you get to know these people. You know, when you spend several years of your lives being and living and, and knowing and educating yourself on, on this book, on these people, you get to know them and how they think and act. Yeah. So what do you got planned next? Well, I can tell you I'll never do two books at once again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I've got one that I'm working on now that is about a 14-year-old girl who walked up to her bullies, her alleged bullies, and said, so you want to call me names, and she stabbed herself, and so Sigourley died. And it's more about the whole bullet side, and they were bullied, so they killed themselves thing. Um it's it's a lot about that on the education and also definition of bullying and the history thereof. For example, this kid had um, parents who just went through hell and back in their lives. They had parents who went through hell and you know. 
So it's really generational. This whole bullying thing is generational for this kid. Well, this has been an amazing hour, as as always. Um, it's getting, already been an hour. Yeah, it's crazy. Has it? Yeah. <laughs> Time flies. Our, our guest has been Judith Yates, and of course, the book is "She Is Evil," not Judith, but the book. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thank you, guys. And uh, I want everybody to be sure and check out our e-zine, True Crime Case Files. You can go to there, truecrimecasefiles.com, or to my Facebook, um, my uh, website, which is judithayates.com. And I want to thank you two guys for being a part of that evening. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of our, our writers and contributors. And uh, we're just, you know, keep rolling. Absolutely. I, I'll be sending you an article next week. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.